Welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. Good morning, brothers and sisters. All right, let me put my equipment on. If you want to know where I got these from, just ask my wife. They click in the middle, yes. All right. Well, as you know, every now and again, um, David takes a great risk, throws me into the pulpit, but here we are. What a great honor and a pleasure it is uh, to be able to bring God's word to you this morning. Uh, if, you could, if you have a Bible with you, we will be looking at a passage from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 22 through 28. This is continuing in a series that should be right behind you. There it is. I can look ahead. You can see I'm a little rusty. Long expected. The long expected Jesus. We're in that season of, of Advent when we are awaiting his coming. The first coming in the birth of Jesus. The second coming when we shall see him in the clouds. And he will come and bring judgment upon the earth. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 28. As I've just said, we are in an Advent season. It is the first part of the Christian calendar. And we are remembering and celebrating Jesus' first coming and preparing for his second. We are looking at the three offices of Jesus. He is our long-expected prophet, uh, that David dealt with last week. I will be dealing this week with our long-expected priest. And I imagine on Friday, Christmas Eve, David will be dealing with our long-expected... Are you going to be preaching? David? Our long-expected king. A prophet, what do they do? They disrupt. Priests, they reconcile and bear the sins of God's people before God. They, he represents God to us and us to God. That's what a priest does. He reconciles and a king leads. As I just said, this week we're looking at Christ as our long-expected priest. Our confessional standards from the Westminster Confession of Faith, our shorter catechism, question 25, says this. How does Christ execute the office of priest? And the answer is, Christ executes the office of priest in his once offering up of himself as a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God and in making continual intercession for us. That is what a priest does. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word this morning from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 22 through 28. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. <clears throat> the former priests 
were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which comes later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. You may be seated. Last week, David spoke to us about Jesus as our prophet. Prophets bring the word of God to God's people, to, into this world. They tell us who God is and what God expects of us. And in that word, like I said, prophets have a tendency to disrupt, don't they? They disrupt us. And David spoke especially of the fact that we probably need disrupting in this day when there are so many different voices. He spoke of the voices that come to us through the internet and social media. And we tend to ignore the word of God and God's voice that comes to us through his word. This week, I want to show us the reconciling power of the gospel when we see Jesus as our high priest. If there is pressure on us from without to listen to the myriad voices that come to us through Facebook and all the other social medias and through the news and time and attention spent on Xbox and other games and things that just totally distract us, David said, we tend to be distracted by the inane rather than the eternities that come to us in God's word. We can also, as a fellowship, be distracted by those things that happen not just on the outside, the external pressures, but things that can be happening on the inside of a a congregation. It's been difficult, hasn't it, the last couple of years? What have we had? We have had pressures from without. COVID has, I think, atrophied our fellowship muscles. I don't know about you, but my fellowship muscles are feeling very, very weak. We've not been together, or we've been together on and off, especially on Sunday mornings. Some day, you know, some weeks we've been here together, but some weeks the COVID pandemic has gotten really, really high and the numbers are high and then we have to wear masks or we're outside or we can't meet at all. And that's put a lot of pressure on churches because they don't meet. And we're not the only ones that have had that. But what happens when we don't meet, we don't see each other, 
We forget about each other. We don't trust one another. We can end up saying things about one another. Then we have disagreements about um, what the protocol should be. And then last year, we also had an election. And then there's things that can be said about the left and the things that can be said about the right. And before you know where you're at, we're not meeting together and people break fellowship. A couple of weeks ago, we had a congregational meeting, and David announced that as we're coming back together again, it is, we've been together for six or seven years, have we not, as a, as a congregation? But it is as if, as we come back together and are meeting together now solidly for the last um, several months, that it's like having a new church plant. It's almost like we're at the beginning again. And David called for all hands on deck. (laughs) But how are we going to be unified? How are we going to go forward when sometimes we have this pressure to not go forward with with people that we've fallen out of love with or we're not in fellowship with anymore? I believe we actually need, I'm going to recommend this, right from the pulpit, I hope our session votes that we actually start to preach through this book this morning, the book of Hebrews. David, if you're listening, I'm talking to you. We need power to continue, don't we? We need power to work through all the pressures of this life from without and from within. And this book, I think, helps us see where we are. The book itself, the book of Hebrews, the whole context of this book is that this was a letter written by someone we don't know. The best guess is that it was Apollos, the great, one of the great apostles and evangelists. It was written to Palestinian Christians who probably had more of a Jewish background than a Gentile background. And they were under tremendous pressure to syncretize the gospel, to water down the gospel so that they wouldn't be quite as persecuted. They were persecuted by Jews. Why? Because the Jews saw immediately that in Jesus, it was the overthrow of their own religion. And so why wouldn't you persecute them? And then the Romans saw their own overthrow because the Christians still believed in one God, three persons, but the Romans believed in a pantheon of gods, including Caesar Caesar as God. And the Christians wouldn't bow and worship. And so you can see that they were under tremendous pressure, even to the point of breaking up their own fellowship with one another. Can it be easier? Can the way be easier than this? Is there another way? And this writer says, "Uh uh-uh, no. There's no other way other than continuing to endure and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior I briefly want to go over three areas. The necessity of the priesthood, the permanency of the priesthood, and the reconciling power of Christ's priesthood and our, on our behalf. Why is it necessary to have a priest? The simple answer is the human condition. 
Generally, we see it in verse 26. Look with me in verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. In my mind, these verses, are, they, they throw, not, it's not just what they say, it's what they don't say. It's not just what they say about Jesus. But if you take the opposite of all of these, you will actually see the human condition. In Jesus, our high priest, we have a perfect man, and he is described here in all of these. But the human condition is that we are all the opposite of them, are we not? The word of God is not just what the word of God says, but also what the word of God implies. So for holy, what would the opposite be? Unholy? For innocent, wouldn't that be guilty? For unstained, wouldn't that be blemished? For separated from sinners, aren't we part of a group of sinners that need a savior? And for exalted, wouldn't the opposite be debased? When we fell away from God in the garden, we were separated from God. And God himself had to come and speak to Adam and to Eve and to call them out of the bushes where they were hiding. And it is the same with us. The human condition is that we are in need of a savior because of our condition. And more specifically, I read the whole of the book this week. As the writer writes to the people, he says this in chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. In verse 13, he talks about a hardened heart. Later on, he talks about a heart that is in rebellion. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in the rebellion. That's not very complimentary, is it? Two, three weeks ago, you remember when David, I think it was our first sermon, right at the beginning of December, right at the end of the sermon, David said something that really struck me when he was talking about John the Baptist speaking to Jesus and saying, are you the one? Are you the long expected one? I'm not really sure. I'm in jail here and I'm not really sure about you. Are we to look for another? And right at the end of the sermon, David said that Jesus said these odd words, blessed are you or those who do not take offense in me. You remember that? It's Christmas time. It's Jesus. You know, it's Teledega Nights. Dear, gentle, precious Jesus. Hmm? Who can be offended with Jesus? But David went on to say, he is an offense. His very existence is an offense because he not only brings God's word to us and prophetically tells us about who God is, who we are, and who he is, but he tells us, and the offense is this, that we are sinners. 
And we're not just generically sinners. In the whole world are we all sinners. But here's the great news, isn't it? That Christians are sinners too. This letter was written to Christians who had evil, unbelieving hearts. Now, show of hands. As you walked in here this morning, were you ever thinking about that you had an evil, unbelieving heart? Seeing none, I guess I should continue. Do we even think in those categories? That I have a tendency, even though I've been saved by God's grace, I have learned now over 30 odd years of being a Christian, that when I first became a Christian, I realized that I was a sinner. God dealt with a lot of the big sins in my life. But over the last 30 odd years, I've begun to see more and more and more of the depths of depravity that my heart is capable of, that I'd never even been able to see in my life. And the work of the Holy Spirit goes on and keeps leading you back to Christ. And that's what I believe we need. We need the power of the gospel in our church, in our own lives. Before we need the power of the gospel out there, we need the power of the gospel right in here. I need to look in the mirror. Before I think, David also said last week that we keep telling ourselves that we're the people that the world has been waiting for and we're going to change all these things in the world, but we can't even make our own bed in the morning. Maybe we should just start with that. Maybe doing something that we can actually accomplish. But the Bible tells us that we can draw near to God in Jesus I don't know whether you've ever seen this in your life. I was reading this week that um, one of my heroes, and I know David's too, uh, Tim Keller. Who's heard of Tim Keller? Pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. Many of us as preachers and young men uh, have really been helped by him. He tells us this week that he has stage four cancer. But in sharing about his cancer, he's had it before. And about 10 years ago, he wrote a book, The Reasons for God in an Age of Skepticism. And he basically says, and I'll paraphrase, that he didn't write it just for everybody else. He wrote it for himself. You know what? He's a pastor. Surely he's not a skeptic. But I think Pastor Keller, and if we're honest with ourselves, we can admit that there lurks within our hearts. We are never convinced enough of the depths of depravity and the atheism that can lie lurking under the surface. And what he said was, is that as he was going through his first round of treatment for cancer, I think it was a different kind, I think it was a thyroid cancer. I think he now has pancreatic. But he said, doing that research, writing that book helped him with the deep doubts that were there lurking underneath the surface within his own heart. Does that make sense? And again, to follow David from last week, David mentioned, I very rarely hear this book mentioned, but let me recommend it to you. David last week talked about Pilgrim's Progress. A wonderful book. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, once said that if there was any book that could be put alongside the Bible, it would be John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. I recommend it to you to read it. But it is interesting that as Bunyan writes in an allegory, 
Christian, the great hero, he's on a journey going to the celestial city. As he's going on his journey heavenward, he's got one of his friends with him, hopeful. And as they get nearer to the city, coming down from the mountains, this man, Mr. Atheist, meets them on the way. And another great preacher once said that all the characters in Bunyan's book are all about the the characters that you will find within your own heart. And there is Mr. Atheist, has gotten closer to the celestial city, but he has turned his back and he's coming back and they enjoy, they have a conversation with him. Where are you going? We're going to this, ah, it doesn't exist. I'm going back. That was the temptation of the Hebrew believers here. I'm going back. It was easy under Judaism. It was easier to not be persecuted. It was easier not to go against the Roman authorities. It was easier two years ago when we could just meet and there was no pressure and everything was hunky-dory. But now we've had some of our first fallouts. It was easier. I'm ready to go back, but we can't go back. There is no going back because Jesus calls us to go forward. In chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same disobedience. We've got to keep moving forward. You may have heard me say this once. You'll hear me say it over and over again. But you remember the cheer-ups? Cheer-up. You're much worse than you think. Hmm? Isn't it great? Isn't the good news great? First, it makes you miserable. But then, the good news points you to Christ. God's grace is far greater than you ever dared hope How? Because we have a permanent high priest. If the Lord didn't know all about our weaknesses, all about our unbelieving hearts, all about our frailty, all about the ways in which we would be ready to turn tail and not do this hard work of not only racial reconciliation, but reconciliation of families and mothers to daughters and fathers to sons and all the great myriad work of reconciliation in the gospel. He knows that we're weak. We knows that we're half-hearted. But what does he call us to? He calls us to look at Jesus, our great high priest. And we have a permanent high priest. Verse 24, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Verse 28, For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. I think when we fall away or when we're tempted to fall away, we go, oh, I can't come back to God. He doesn't want me now. I've sinned too much. And I want us to be encouraged 
that God has given us a man who is in heaven, Jesus Christ, our representative, our high priest, seated on the right hand of God, and he will continually make intercession for you and for me, for Matt, for Jonathan, for Tracy, for Willie, for Larry, and Susan, for Charles, for Daryl, for Batch. Aren't these all the people that we know? That we're all together in this fellowship. He makes intercession for us, a permanent high priest, a representative of God to us and us to God, one who has satisfied God's wrath for every sin. Not just for a few sins, but for every sin. To these Christians that this author is writing to, because they were more Jewish, they were tempted to go back to the old ways. And so a lot of this language, I'm hoping that David maybe one day will unpack it just a little bit more. But they were tempted to go back to the old ways, which was just a type and a shadow of that which was to come. Aaron's sons and the Levitical priesthood, they only had a priesthood just for a short while until they died. But Jesus has a priesthood for eternity. He will never die. He will always live forever and bear in his body the payment for our sin and satisfy God forever. Therefore, we can now come to God through the reconciling power of Jesus I repeat verse 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Elsewhere, the author says this, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no man may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. These words are not just said to the outside world, to unbelievers. These words are said to believers. We are to give an account. We are to strive to enter. We are to believe that there is an eternal foundation in the heavens that we can continue to draw near to God and draw resources every day through faith in Christ. The whole of this book essentially is about endurance. It's about perseverance, persevering in the faith. I don't know whether you knew, but you are actually attending what's known as a Calvinistic church. Did you know that? John Calvin, he wasn't the systematizer that I'm about to tell you about, but we believe in something called tulip. Willie knows all about it, because you just had to go through all that, haven't you? What is the system of faith that is articulated in the scriptures? TULIP is an acronym. 
T, total depravity. Haven't we just seen that? Not just unbelievers, but Christians too. They need Jesus. You, unconditional election. God chose us from before the foundations of the earth to have his son revealed to us that the Holy Spirit comes into your life. You didn't manufacture that. You didn't think about it, but the heavenly father did. He sees you pro herizo on the horizon and he chooses you as a fallen sinner and he says, I'll have him. And in time, you come to him as you are, unconditionally. Psalm 110 says, in the day of his power, he makes them willing. L is for limited atonement. It's limited in the fact that God in Jesus died for all of his people. It is sufficient for all, but it is limited to his people. And God saves in Jesus absolutely everybody for whom it was meant I is irresistible grace. God's grace is irresistible. You will come to him. He will have you. Or C.S. Lewis once said, he will have his cake and eat it too. And P is where I want to land the plane. P is perseverance of the saints. It's not just once saved, always saved. That is pitiful. It is once saved, never the same. And you continue on, up and down, dale, no matter what it is, you continue on trusting and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. He keeps coming to you over and over again. He keeps interceding for you. Even when you get lost in the summer, we talked about Psalm 23. Even when you have been a sheep and you are bound and you cannot find your way back, the shepherd comes and he lifts you up and sets you back on your feet. That is perseverance of the saints. That is the grace that you need not to begin your Christian walk, but to end your Christian walk. And brothers and sisters, if we don't have that grace, we don't belong to him. We can't do this work together. We need power from on high to do this grace of reconciling God to us, us to God, and to one another. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Lord, if you don't do this work, we are of all men to be pitted. We don't have what it takes, but we know that you do. And so we have come this morning to worship you and ask again that you would empower us. We've confessed our sins. We know it, we are a dull and a slow people, but we ask this morning that you would quicken our hearts in a way that only you know how to. And in the words of Christina Rossetti, Lord, we say, what can I give him? Poor as I am, if I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. But Lord, what we can give, we give you. We give you our hearts. Amen.
for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org.